Thank you for choosing this Dream Centre podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. You know, this morning, the whole context of where we've been coming from as the Spirit starts to declare, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty or freedom. I think the biggest problem with that, if I talk to myself, I'm speaking to myself this morning, is that I can sing it, but not always believe it for me. It's fine for everybody else, because I think that everybody else lives in heaven, and everybody else has a face-to-face encounter with God on a daily basis, and I kind of like stumble along in the dark somewhere, so it's always speaking about somebody else. He's speaking to you, and he's speaking to me. And that's where sometimes we have to get rid of insecurity, we have to get rid of things that we've kind of programmed ourselves with, and saying, do you know what? You know the advert, do you know what ladies, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Do you know why you're worth it? Because the Bible tells us that he paid a price greater than any man could pay. He gave his life. He shed his blood on the cross so that you and I could have freedom and liberty. We're coming to something different. But the old stereotyping, bad parenting, role models, blueprints have often taught, uh, taught us that he's never speaking to us. It's always somebody else. It's garbage. Make a decision with yourself today. Say, where the Spirit of the Lord is. Now, does the Bible tell me that the Holy Spirit lives in me as a guarantee of my inheritance? So have I got the Spirit? On a good day and a bad day, have I got the Spirit? So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So every day, he declares over my life, you're free. Now make a choice. Moses declared, didn't he? See today, I lay before you life and death. Choose life. Choose to say, my God, you brought me into freedom. I'm going to learn the path of how to walk in it. Again, Psalm 84. This is nothing about what I'm talking about, by the way. But in Psalm 84, it tells us, blessed are they who set their hearts on pilgrimage. It means it's a journey. It means you're going to have to get out your spiritual sat-nav. You're going to have to look into the word for yourself. Program a coordinate that turns around and says, what can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. So I'm going to start my journey. Because the word also declares this. His word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. And Kevin and I was only talking just last week. Said the revelation of that hits you like this. Have you seen those little lights you can buy from the pound shop that fit on an elastic band that go around your head? For when you're looking in the back of the cupboard, trying to find... Because if my Dan does the washing up, which he doesn't do often, I can assure you. But if he puts all the pots back in the cupboard... Dan doesn't do pots go in the cupboard. There is a big cupboard that we have, a corner cupboard. He opens the door and just crams everything in. So when you say, where's the Pyrex disc? It's always behind everything else and it's in the dark and you can never get there. God says, for the immediate steps, I've got this little light that shines. But also, two years ago when we had the Christmas production, we bought one of those lights, a million candle light. Have you seen them? Well, Julie's seen one. You need to get out a bit more. Do a bit more shopping. A million candle light. It's a torch that goes for ages. And God says, not only do I show you here, but I show you where you're supposed to be going. And every time you take a step, we're not like people stumbling around in the dark. We've come into freedom. We're coming to liberty. Amen? Amen. Okay, right. So that deals with that. So let's move on to what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm using a title that's not mine. It's not... um, my own making, but I think it carries quite a lot of weight when we start to listen to it. I want to talk to you this morning that success is not a solo project. Paul, last week when he was speaking, talked about Team GB, did he not? Remember he told us about all those guys who won the medals and how they got everything through and the coach came along with an all-inclusive training program that allowed people to get 1% better than they'd ever done before. Remember? So they were all, these were already winners, and he was able to get an extra 1%. And I was thinking, that's great, but I need more than 1%. <laughs> I don't know about your life, guys, but what is it like when you've not been living like a winner? What's it been like when you're trying to get on the page? What's it been like when your life doesn't marry up to what the Bible says it should do? How do we get on the page then? And I started to see the way that God was moving, how he speaks in his word, and how he starts to raise us up. Is that a good place to be? The place where he wants to rise. He doesn't want us to stay down. If we remember just even the prophetic word that's been spoken over the house this year, he's taken us up to take us in. Amen. All the time he's trying to rise us. He's trying to get more and more out of it. 
Now, the thing is about this. It has never, ever been God's intention from the beginning of creation till the end of it that we are self-sufficient. You know, this is not like the spiritual good life. Now, if you remember the program from the 70s, they decided I'm going to pull myself out of the rat race and I'm going to become self-sufficient. So they bought a pig and they grew all their own food and they made Christmas decorations out of newspaper. God's not looking for us to be self-sufficient because he says, I am all sufficient and you find yourself in me. Is that right? So we find out what we need in him. But here's the thing that I had to learn when I was looking through at the scriptures. The scriptures say this of Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, as it was mentioned this morning. He had himself had to learn obedience, submission, and more than that, patience. Now, there are three things that as you and I go along, are three of the things that will trip us up more than anything. Obedience, submission, and patience. Why obedience? Because I want to do it my way. Why submission? Because you're not going to tell me. I know what to do myself. And why patience? Because I want to do it now. I always want to do it now. It's a case of, if I get giddy, and some of you know, some of you know me quite well, I'll know that if I get giddy, I get giddy. And then there's no stopping me then. Somebody's got to rein me in, almost put me in a headlock to stop me doing what I want to do, because I just go like a bullet a gate. I've not given it much thought. I'll just keep going and just ponder on. But the Bible says this in Philippians 2 and verse 5. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Christ had to learn obedience. Even though he's the man Christ Jesus, he's God made man, he still had to learn obedience. He still had to be the man in the garden that says, not my will, but your will be done. And we spend our lives as we grow as Christians learning to align our will to his will. Does anybody find that easy? Oh, so it's not only me then. Every day I have to make a decision that says, God, you say this is best for me, but I still believe it's not. I still believe in the Dan syndrome. Remember the diploma we have, the Dan knows best syndrome. I still believe that I have the best process. So I'm told not to do something and I keep doing it until I burn my fingers and then decide maybe he did know best. So Christ himself had to learn obedience. In Hebrews 5, it tells you this. Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So he learns obedience and he learns submission. It has to be in a place that says, you're God and I'm not. You're God, I need to go where you're telling me. What is your word saying over my life? What's being declared over me? But for me, being a man... Because men always kind of have their own way. I don't know about you ladies, but men always know. We're kind of, there's times when I wake up in the morning and I feel like I'm going to be the hunter-gatherer caveman today. I'm going to do it all my own way. And I go out and I've decided to take on the world. And by dinner time, I still have to come back and ask Ange where my shirt was. But that's different. But as men, we kind of think we're just going to take on everything. Is there any men in here apart from me? Is there any men who feel they can take on the world? Well, there's me and Chris. So it's a good job me and Chris are painting the loose. We feel like we can take anything on. But patience is one of those massive keys. Just think of this for a moment. Think of the man Christ Jesus. God made man. Is that biblical? God made man. He comes down. The Bible declares over Jesus. It says, and he was the carpenter. Not a carpenter. He is the carpenter. He is the bee's knees. He's the craftsman. He's the one who can make anything. He's the guy who can make it all happen. He's the one that people want to come to. There's a queue outside his shop because of his workmanship that he's got. He is the carpenter. Have we got that? But he's he's God made man, correct? And every day he's faced with things. We need a new bed for number 37 Long Street where we have a cripple. 
So they make the measured it, goes down, makes the bed, does the home deliveries, delivers it, and sees the cripple. He's God made man. His heart is towards seeing the cripple walk, but it's not his time. Does he heal him? Does he say, while you're not looking, God, I'll just have a go? He leaves him. When the man comes who needs a crutch, when somebody's there and he's making walking sticks, when when he's making devices for the blind person, when he's doing all these things for people who are separated from society, Jesus didn't suddenly get compassion when he made 30 years of age. He's there, but he had to learn his timing. He had to learn patience. Even when his mum comes along and says, hey, look, Jesus, it's like this. The running out of Chateau du Plant number seven at the wedding, is there anything you can do? And he says, mother, it is not my time. There has to be a time where Jesus himself has to learn patience. He doesn't reach to the sick. His heart's crying out. He's got the heart of the father, but yet still can't minister in those areas until he's given permission. Would that be right? Is that Bible? He needs to be given permission. So if Jesus needs to be given permission, is that not the same for you and I? We come to the time of our timing. Now it says of this in John 5 and verse 19. Jesus gave him this answer. Verily, verily, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever his father does, the son does also. Jesus had to be a a guy, as we said, learns obedience. He learns submission and he has to learn patience. Now, I said right at the beginning, success is not a solo project. That when Jesus moves, he's moving because he's in partnership with the Holy Spirit and with the Father. He's not even moving on his own. He says, I do nothing unless my Father tells me to do it. I say what he tells me to say. So these people are in a, uh, this, this Holy Trinity is in such a connection in partnership that they say, right, when you move, I move. If you go down, I go down. I've got your back, you've got my back. Now, we could get all kind of funny at the moment and say, we're all like Marines, we never leave a man down in the field. But we know this is the church, so we do. We have to be in a position where we're starting to rely and trust on each other. Because if you look, what God has been declaring from the summer, early summer onwards, is more and more about the power of one. Now, the power of one and the corporate unity that we have, we reach out and touch something. We said this morning that they will go from strength to strength, each one who appears before God in Zion. We're coming to a great appearing corporately. And as we appear together corporately, we carry a corporate strength. You see, we do more together than we ever do on our own. The only thing is, there used to be um, a little boy who used to live a few doors down from uh, Pastor Tony. And he always used to say, he used to play for a football team. And this kid was really good. He had all the talent. He wanted to play for City, so I suppose he wasn't that good. And he was about this big, a little fella. And Tony used to call him. He he used to say, oh, Tony, come and watch me play football. Tony, come and see see me play football. And he went to see him play football one day for his team. He wouldn't pass it to anybody. He was running around. He was just literally, every time he got the ball, he'd get his head down, just be running, he'd lose it. And he came at the end because he didn't have a dad in his life. He never had a a male figure. And so because Tony had talked to him and he were friends of the family, he'd go and see him. And he said to him, how do you think I did? And he said, you did fine, but there's only one problem. He said, what's your problem? He said, you're a one-man wannabe. You want to do everything on your own. I want to pass the ball to myself. I'm going to take the throwing to myself. And then I'm going to run around everybody on my own. I'm going to score on my own. And then I'm going to celebrate on my own. One man wannabes. And we look at it and go, he's only a kid. But you know, through life, it's often that we start to learn to do everything on our own. And we have our successes on our own. We pat our bat selves on the back. You know, we don't do anything in partnership. We move on. But, you know, if we're going to be partners in destiny, we heard, and I don't want to go into it again, the story of of when we look in the book of Acts. The book of Acts talks about one people in one place with one prayer, with one desire, with one destiny, with one cause, calling on one God. And the Holy Ghost came and sat on it. We remember from the uh, prayer and fasting that we're one body with one spirit, with one hope, with one faith, in one Lord, one baptism, one God, and one Father. 
we have to learn the power of corporate destiny. The power that it's not just about me. Together we are greater than what we are on our own. Does anybody ever remember the advert that used to run a couple of years ago? And I think it was a green flag or something. And there was a little ant. A little ant came on its own. And you just hear its footsteps. Because I love cartoon footsteps. You just heard. And there was a little. Excuse me. And it was just like a big. Excuse me. Nothing. Gives a whistle. And you just. Loads of them come together. And they go. Excuse me. Scream. And it grabs the guy's attention. You always have power when we're together rather than when I'm just on my own. You see, I cultivate my relationship with God in private. I learn to find his place. I find his heart. I push into him. But when we're together in this kind of environment and we start to push, your strength and my strength are compounded. We get bigger. We get stronger. We achieve more. Why are we seeing so much achieved in our Prayer, not just the prayer and fasting, but the times of our building in the spirits. Because people are coming in one accord, in one place, to push with one strength. That's why success is not a solo project. I can assure you, I've done it. You can go and spend weeks, months, years, wasting your time, trying to make it all work on your own, making a, a ministry for yourself, getting to the place where it's all about you and God and this special kind of love chamber that you have, God says, it's not about you, it's about us. We move from the I to the we. Does that make sense? Am I speaking in riddles? So we're clear so far. I'm glad because this is only the introduction so far. So we start to move through. But I need to tell you this. When we're in the body, there are some people that you'll meet in life who will only ever be around you for a season. Those people, enjoy them, bless them, draw from them, give to them, start to have a two-way relationship, which is fine. There are others that as we join in the, in the partners together in the dream center, there are people that come alongside you who are partners in destiny. And as we're partners in destiny, it's because we're going to finish the race together. And as we finish the race together, I would tell you, value these relationships higher, well, as high as you can. Don't really raise them above your husband or your wife or anything else that goes down. But don't become so familiar with the people that you're doing life with and you're growing with and sharing with. Because what does familiarity breed? And we just become flippant with each other. We don't recognize the graces on each other's lives. We look and we're kind of, well, it's only Julie. Oh, it's only David. It's only Phil. It's whoever. That's why the Bible turns around and says about Jesus that a prophet was out without honor in his own town. It's just Jesus. Isn't that the carpenter's son? And we become so familiar as graces are changing and God is starting to raise up individuals in the house and corporately we start to rise, we just can still fall in the, yeah, but it's just Chris. It's not just Chris. We're partners in destiny that God is touching in the lives of different people. So I want to show you something this morning. We know from the Gospels something that's quite plain. We know that Jesus had his disciples. Is that correct? So in his disciples, we saw that he had 72, he had 12, and he had three. So two of you have been reading you every day with Jesus this week. That's all right. 72, 12, and three. What separated them? What was the difference between the 72, the 12, and the three? Now, I'm not going to say what I'm telling you is the only answer, and this is correct, but I'm telling you, it's correct. So you can work that one out for yourself. In Luke 5, and starting at verse 1, declares this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesenaret, the people were crowded around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. And when they'd gone so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the boats to come and help them. 
And they came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he has all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. The story goes like this. Jesus comes along. The crowd are pushing him back. And as he's getting further and further down, he's now getting to his paddling. So he gets inside Peter's boat, pushes from the shore a little bit. And from Peter's boat, from his business, they start to declare what the word of God is. So he's speaking out that word. Jesus then turns around and says, okay, Peter, you've allowed me to use your boat. Come on, we're going to go and catch some fish. Peter declares this. He says, Lord, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Here's the key. But because you say so, we'll put down our nets. There is the say-so that is coming to the house and us and individuals where you say, Lord, I've done it all in my own strength. Everything that I knew t- needed to know, I've used on it all my own skill. I've done everything that I learned from the internet. I asked Google the question and it didn't give me the right one. I've tried everything, but because you say so, I'll put down my net in the same place I tried before. But when God says do it, we're going to get a supernatural catch. Okay. The timing of because you say is on its way. But here's the key. Remember we said about the 72, the 12 and the 3. It says that the catch was so great that Peter called his partners to come and help him. And his partners were James and John. Who were the three that were closest to Jesus? Peter, James, and John. They learned something from partnership that Jesus was able to take and pull into his inner core. These people learned how to win together. They learned how to lose together. They said, if we're doing well today, you're doing well. They made sure that they had each other's backs. They learned something. They already learned the power of partnership. Now, without going too deep into it, because it's unfair... And also, I don't want to just be all using personal illustrations on this. I have a business partnership with Kevin, who sat over there. Okay, we all know Kevin. Kevin's over there. Now, we've been in business together for like the last six years. But when we came together, we didn't come together with the same strengths. Kevin's strengths underpinned my weaknesses. My weaknesses underpinned Kevin's weaknesses. And then his skills, I started to glean from. So now when I talk to you about the magic world of the internet and technology and how it all works, I'm telling you what Kevin told me. (laughs) Okay. And vice versa. We learn together. But in partnership, it's meant that the times when maybe last year I may have been ill, I had kidney problems, Kevin carried a lot of the burden on the business. He made it. He made sure that we still had bread on our tables and bills were paid. So thank you, Kevin. We appreciate you for that. And then vice versa, if things are not going well or Kev's on holiday, I take in the slack so that he can still go on. So you're not worrying every day of how you make things work, yeah? But this is the point that we've got to come from. In partnership, if I look around, here's a question that I don't want you to speak. Please don't speak out. This is a rhetorical question. Look around you and say, I can trust that person who sat, well, I hope you two can. I can trust the person who sat next to me. But, you know, if my back's against the wall, I can still look and know that Z's going to bail me out. I know that when I've got to push some weight, as long as we're not squatting too much, Z's going to help me. Whatever we've got, we can look towards each other. Do you remember a couple of years ago when we spoke, uh, spoke about the Coca-Cola can? Do you remember the Coca-Cola can? Was everybody here for the Coca-Cola can? Stick your hand up if you know what I'm talking about, the Coca-Cola can. Okay, Right. Let me tell you this, because somewhere down the line, we're going to roll it out again. The Coca-Cola can was this. The scripture tells us that at the start of every week, out of their abundance, they laid something aside for urgent needs. Talking about people in the body. They took care of themselves. And what I did was we illustrated that if I came, and I think I used John at the time, I said, John, I'm strapped for cash. 
right? I'm a bit broke. I need a drink. Any chance you could give me 50p to buy a can of Coke? And of course, John said, no, sling your hook. So John gave me 50p, okay, to buy a can of Coke. And what we said was, corporately in the body, if everybody thought about somebody else as a can of Coke once a week, so once a week as an individual, as all as a grown-up, I took my 50p and put it in my Coke can. If you remember, we had big Coke cans. Put it in there. The times when the church has a need in itself, as the body's struggling, we tapped into the urgent needs fund. And the urgent needs fund, instead of coming around and saying, right, David, we need three grand. Have you got three grand? Everybody's 50p's that every week they join together all went into an account. And who was it for? It was for us. It wasn't for Mary down the street has just come and she's lost two teeth and she's need to go to the dentist and she says, can we help her pay for the price of a crown? It wasn't. It was how we struggled in the body, wasn't it? And we used it. And I can tell you that account has been used on numerous occasions. So somewhere down the line, it'll be pulled back out because the money that was in there is now running out. But it's been used for the needs of the house. But we started to think about each other. Now, with each other, when we said, I can think of the corporate body with 50p, how easy was that? Simple, wasn't it? 50 pence, and we can pull it out. But you know, this is the thing. When we talk about currency there, the 50 pence, relationship is one of the major keys of the kingdom. It's a currency of the kingdom, relationship. Why is that? Bible says this, never will I leave you, nor forsake you relationship. The Bible also tells me there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Relationship. We're taught to be the bridegroom and the bride. Relationship and covenant. God turns around in the garden and says, let us make man in our image. It's all about relationship and partnership. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 declares this, two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help up the other. But pity the one who falls down and has no one to help him. All the time, God turns around and says, look, this is the way that it goes. We're working so that I build partnership. I'm building you together. Jesus even sends the disciples out in twos. Now, here's the thing. Being dead honest, here we are, honesty corner. I've had it in my earlier days, and not even necessarily in my earlier days, where we've had prayer lines, and there might be two people praying for somebody. And something's happened, maybe somebody says, oh, I got healed. And then you ask yourself the question, was it my prayer, or was it David's prayer? Of course, nobody's ever thought like that, have they? No one's ever been here and thought that. You've both prayed, and somebody's been slayed in the spirit, and you've kind of gone, better put that one away. (laughs) can't trust this with anybody I better just stick my hand back in my pocket and fall over myself and we can start to be in a position of going that was about me it's amazing how that when it's not working David you could have been in prayer this week my friend but when it is working David aren't you glad that you had me on your side it's the way that it is that's naturally because we always have a tendency to go back to our natural setting. Our natural setting is, it's all about me. My world evolves around me. Now, I'm sure I'm not talking to anybody in here this morning, that your world ever evolves around you. It revolves around you, you glean about you. It's all about, I want to eat when I eat, do what I want when I want, watch what I want on TV when I want. Nothing is going to break into my routine. But I'm not speaking about anybody here, of course. Even in the garden... In Genesis 2 and verse 18, the Lord turns around and he says this. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Let's pick up the context of the word that God said. It's not good for man to be... Did he say that man was lonely? So God brought him a helper... Because two are better than one. That if one can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand. It wasn't that 
Adam sat there one day and looked at two giraffes and thought, oh, look at them, two giraffes. One's got a mate, they're running off into the sunset together. You know, it became a scene from The Lion King where the sun was just dropping down and they lifted the baby. Thought, I'd wish I had a baby and a Mel to be able to deliver it for me. It wasn't. It was all about the power of partnership. It was never about anything being alone. We don't always recognise it. We don't always understand that we've been influenced by it. But as I said before, we can often live under the guise of look after number one. Are we to- have we been told all the way through our lives, make sure you look after number one. You look after number one, you even get it where people say, never trust anybody. Never tr- you can only rely on yourself. Nobody went, I forgot you don't live in my house. <laughs> and you get the stuff where you start to become so self-proficient in what you do. You know, I can't help it and I start to hang on to things. There was a position that we used to have when um, I still worked for a living. And I was out there in the real world. Where there used to be a thing, and I remember my boss, a guy called Stevie Bland. Still deal with him now, great guy. And he turned around, there was one day, I was still the junior at the time, and he was training me. And it was like one of those, come to the font of all wisdom, come to the font of knowledge. That was by the coffee machine. So you stand around, and people would have chats. And there was a time when redundancies were all being murmured about, they're going to let some people go. And it's always there, they're letting some people go. And you always thought, who's going to be let go first? And we're having this coffee one morning, and he turned around and he said to us, just remember something, Phil. Knowledge is power. If you know something that other people don't know, you're the one they can't make redundant. So you start to be in work going, don't share anything with anybody else. So Chris would come along and say, hey, Phil, how'd you do that? Uh, Sorry, Chris, I'll have to get back to you on that one. I'm a bit busy. And you never told somebody else how you could do your job. Because if you did, they might get rid of me instead of getting rid of Chris. But you and I know they're always going to get rid of Chris because I'm better looking. I'm better for the company to have around. Okay, so here was the thing. It became knowledge was power. And so if I've got this secret and I know and you don't know, I'm more valuable. But do you know the person who told me that knowledge is power and don't tell anybody anything was the first person who got made redundant. And Stevie Bland, who was my boss at that time, and he's a great guy like I just told you he is, They decided they made him redundant on Friday and they realised by lunchtime on Monday that nobody knew how to do his job. (laughs) But because Steve was one of the biggest earners, they kind of went, right, see, the bean counters came in. Oh, right, right, well, he'll have to go, he'll have to go. So do you know what they did? They employed him back on Monday afternoon. (laughs) But on a freelance basis and paid him twice as much money... (laughs) as he did before because that's corporate stupidity so welcome to the real world of all smart people because I've kind of figured out something all the people who run the world and all the people who are supposed to be smart aren't that smart and though if you've ever dealt with office politics you'll understand that after a while you cut off your nose to despite your face and then realize I've made a big mistake but I can't go back so that's the kind of stuff that pushes through but it was like looking after number one now here's the thing If I'm in a position where I decide in my life as I grow as a believer and I grow in the house and I'm starting to touch God and we're starting to do things in different ways. If I don't help David do the same thing, I only hurt me. See, charismania was all about when we got through the 80s and 90s, the man at the front with a sequin jacket, to use the term that Tony would use. And that would be, it was, I've had it in my earlier days. As we were growing, and as we were changing and being mentored by uh, Pastor Colin, it was in those days, they would use terms that says, you're the man of power for the hour. And it'd be, when you turn up, you're going to save everything. And that was the mentality that if you stood here at the front, they'd say, worship was rubbish this morning, musicians were bobbins, you better be able to save the day. So you came in with the mentality of any time you stood here, I'm here to save the day. Well, aren't you glad that God birthed me this morning so I can save the day today? Thank you for that underwhelming response, by the way. 
And we get to such a place where before you even think about it, you don't get up every day thinking, you know what, I'm the answer to life's problems. But what's sown into you little bit by little bit gets into your psyche where you think, I don't even need anybody anymore. And what the danger is, here's the danger sometimes. Won't use names, I'll be very politically correct. How is that? Where you'll see it, where you can go to a meeting, corporately the body's growing together, and the man of God, brackets, because we're all men and women of God, the man of God, the man with a sequin jacket, stays in his room outside, drinking coffee, doing whatever he's doing, where he get through the worship, we get through the announcements, and then they roll me out as being the saviour of the universe. And the congregation all goes mad because Phil just turned up. Please. The Bible turns around and says this, that our worship is our spiritual act of sacrifice. Yes? That my worship. Do you realise that when we meet together corporately, the only time we get to offer to God is in our worship. We have our worship and our offering. Okay? That's where we were. The rest of the time, we're in receiving mode. God pours out. He gives us his word. He gives us the prophetic word. Gives us the preceding word and points us in the right direction. So if I'm in a position where I'm just giving out, when am I ever giving back to God? So when people just say, oh, I'm sorry, but your lack of faith, and trust me, I've been around enough circles of pastors and leaders to know that when people turn around and say, your lack of faith your sinful life, your dead leg existence means that every time I walk in, you steal from the presence that I have. I've been in the presence of God all week and I can't be allowed near Claire Webber because she's such a black hole that's going to suck all the life out of me. So I can't even allow your bad worship to affect my spirit. So I'll come at the end and save the day and don't think it doesn't happen. Whereas God says, we're all in this thing together. Are we pushing together? Are we building together? Let me let you know a little secret. Here's something how it works, because I found out something to my own detriment. My own detriment is this. When we see Pastor Tony doing what he's doing here on a Sunday morning, it looks really easy. So when the guys are leading worship, and Pastor Tony will get up and he'll say, okay guys, let's just lift those holy hands and he'll start to sing a ditty, a little bit of going up, take us in, take us up, take us up, take us in. And he's saying something and he's grabbing in the spirit and the atmosphere starts to change. You go, hey, been act, Tony, that's easy. Look at that how we pressed in. There is something, forget about having a natural talent or ability, those things we know that... Tony has a great advantage over me, only a little bit, but it's a great advantage. He can sing and hold a note and you never want me to sing. In the karaoke, they always go like this. <laughs> Give the mic to somebody else because I'm never, ever going to be the one that sings. Okay. But here's the key that I found. Just when Pastor Tony's not here doesn't mean we can't get to the same place in God. Now, if we need to get to the same place in God, this morning you saw Pat spoke, I spoke, and Paul spoke. We got to the same place as where Pastor Tony would take us. But we got there with the strength of three rather than a grace that one man carries. Because my grace and Pat's grace and Paul's grace together got us to the same destination. It doesn't matter if it takes 20 of us to push us over the line as long as we get there. Yeah. And that's why I can never look at it and just believe it's all about me. And I can never just think that, oh yeah, it all happened because I was there this morning and I got up at seven and I prayed before I came into the meeting and I drew heaven down. It's not. It's about the grace of God and how he meets us. You know, sometimes I get the impression that God sits there and he's laughing. And he's going, look at the state of the boy there. God, help him. Do some, release something from heaven. Do, get him over the line. Do something with somebody, but help them. You know, but that's the power of us learning partnership together. Yeah. You know, if I restrict the ability of growing in God because I think that I earn a brownie point from it and I look more spiritual than you, who grows? Do you think God's going to put up, that, put up with that for a long time? If I become the blockage, who's he going to remove? 
It's not you. He's going to remove me. The grace still comes to you. The problem is that we find sometimes in the body of Christ is this. When your spiritual mentors become your spiritual tormentors, God has to intervene. You're not held accountable for where I deny you things, when I hold you back, when I don't tell you the truth, when I kind of press you back. Now remember, I don't sit there, I keep saying me like I do it every week, please. You don't sit there thinking, it's my lot in life to keep David down. It becomes the unconditional programming in your life of going, if David grows, he challenges me. And if there's me and I get to preach and everything's going along and say, just say, for instance, I preach 10 times a year and then Pat and Paul and Claire start to rise and 10 times has now become three times. And Pastor Tony says, so how do you think uh, Pat and Claire and Paul did? (sighs) Need some work, Tony. (sighs) They need some work. (sighs) Stick them somewhere else. Do something with them. Help them somewhere. But I tell you what, they don't deserve a Sunday morning. Is that about them or is that about me? It's about me. And do you know what? We all have those thoughts running through our minds. Because if I only do this bit and then I've got to share it with you, please, we've already established this morning that I'm the best looking, as Chris said. (laughs) As Chris, as a man once said. (laughs) You know, we can come to that place of going, you're in the body, just be thankful for it. You got saved, that's okay. Just trundle along, know your place, keep your gob shut, keep turning up, put your 50p in your Coke can and make sure when the offering comes round, you're not the one hiding in the loo. Yeah? We can pull it round, but we're all supposed to grow together. Is that right? We know this from scripture. We know that the Christ life, and I use a big word here and I'll explain it, apostolic equalization are meant to cause us all to rise. There was a reason why God gave us the picture in-house of us being a spiritual harbour. Do you remember they said you had big boats and some big galleons? Now, I don't want to look around and say, who's the galleon, by the way? I was a, I was a streamlined racing boat myself. So you've got all of these boats that when the water starts to rise, whose boat rose? Everybody's. The only boats that don't rise are the ones who decide to sink themselves from the inside. So if I'm there with a pickaxe putting a hole in the bottom of my boat, the one thing I don't need is the water level rising. Don't know if you understand that. The scripture also says about the people who have shipwrecked their faith. You can take yourself off course, but as the water level rises in the house, every one of us should be going higher and higher. Going up to go in. Because we don't just want to feel more spiritual. Because spirituals, you know, lives in Mamby Pamby world. You know that, don't you? It's in the land of the mystic when we get spiritual. But he's taken us up to take us into his presence. And as he takes us into his presence, we learn new protocols. Because to be honest with you, before we've had an awful lot of church and not always encountered him face to face. But once God starts turning up, you find out pretty quick what you can and can't do. Yes, you've encountered those moments in the building in the spirits and corporately on a Sunday morning. But we look that as God starts to change us and we're molded through, well, let me explain apostolic equalization. That just means if we take the apostolic blueprints of the New Testament, it will cause everybody to get better. To know more, to live more, to experience more. Because what good is it me If Pastor Tony's telling me about how he had a technicolour dream, he was in the presence of God, had breakfast with four angels, had all the stuff, and I don't even know how to have a black and white nightmare. I need to experience what he's experiencing. We see, even if we look on the pillars of the ordered house there, corporate and individual life betterment. What does that mean? We all cause to rise. Spiritually, socially, physically. We're learning together, we're growing together. Yes? But you can't do that without me. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without me. We grow together, we learn together. Here's the truth. A transformed life can transform a life. Simple truth, that, isn't it? 
But if something's not working in me, I can't tell you how to do it. I can tell you theories. I was one of those kids who never listened in school. Well, I did listen, but didn't listen. And you always said I have that annoying habit of being able to look out of the window and be doing a scribble and still tell you what you just said. Because you know, like sometimes, fellas, the ladies are talking. You know what I'm talking about. The ladies are talking. And then they go, you're not listening, are you? Yes, I am. I'm listening, darling, love of my life, darling of heaven. Yes, I'm listening. And so, right, what did I say? And that's when you have to be able to draw on that deep resource, go to the inner ear, <laughs> and pull out the magic of what they've said. Darling, your words were this. And she always gets really cheesed off because you knew. <laughs> the fact that I was ignoring you didn't mean I didn't listen to you. I was just ignoring you. You know, we pull those things through. But you know what? We can't be in a position where we just tell people what to do without living and demonstrating it ourselves. There are times in our spiritual walk, and as we grow as a Christian, where we're actually declaring in faith. So when Pastor Tony declared last week, the word says, and there will be none sick in Zion. Are we at that position yet? We're not there yet, are we? Sorry, you can be honest, he's not here. We're not at that position yet. But we're believing and we're stepping in faith. We're coming to the place that there will be non-sick in this house. Now, you might push a bit harder when it's you who's sick. When it's you who's needed, you might believe that a little bit more. But we're starting to declare and build an environment where things change, yes? So transform lives, transform lives. The church should never be a place of dog-eat-dog or a rat-race environment. Where I just need to be better than Lisa. I've got to do more than David. If Chris got up and prophesied. Here's the thing. Now I've told you this is Honesty Corner. I've stepped into Honesty Corner once I've come to the front here this morning with a the mic. There are times and I'm not speaking about you. There are times when say for instance. If Chris would get up and give a word. Well I better give a word then if Chris is give a word. Because all of a sudden Chris looks a bit more spiritual than me. We've already counted and we've already declared and Chris is from his own mouth. I was better looking, but Chris has got up and he's brought a word. So now I feel intimidated to bring a word. And I move from the God said to Phil said, but I'll declare it. Why? Because I feel like it's dog eat dog and it's pecking order. For so, oh, God forbid that Chris should get up and say something and Phil never say something. But we get to the place where as each one grows, you know, look, I love... If you look at Corinthians, you see a perfect picture of a church in chaos. We look at it and go, look at them gifts in, look at them gifts in Corinthians. And Paul goes, if you're going to be a nutcase, be like the Corinthian church. He says, everybody was talking at the same time. Everybody tried to prophesy. Everybody tried to do it something at the same time. There was no governance and no order. But can you just imagine it? That we've got such a queue down here. We're going, Elijah, we just hang on a minute. David, just stop. Lisa, will you sit down? Because everybody wants to declare what God's doing. Isn't that a good problem to have? Now, Paul also declares this. He says, and everyone can prophesy. Oh, well, thank you for... (laughs) Every one of us can be taught how to hear the voice of God, discern the voice of God, and deliver what he's saying. Some of you have not been on the Connect course, have you? We can get to the place where everyone is doing it. I don't just have to wait for Pastor Tony to do it. Because when we start to rise and the equalisation takes place, and I understand that God speaks to me and not just everybody else, everything starts to change. The very demonstration of the Christ in the midst is amazing amongst us. You know, we don't always recognise, here's the problem I found. Again, I'm only speaking about me and not you. I don't always recognise when I'm being selfish. I don't always recognise when it has become the one-man show. I don't always recognise when I just live life on my own. And sometimes that's when you need that gentle word that says, stop being a pillar and do it right. Because I've kind of figured out that God deals with me really, really simply. We don't have to go into clouds appear and there's this huge kind of voice of angels singing and God reveals himself and says, Phil, I call you into my presence and in my presence I need to talk to you because that's how God speaks. He's It's a long way away. And he starts to speak the word. When God speaks, 
He says things really simple. Yes, no, stop it, proceed, carry on. They're simple words. And when God turns around and says no, I already know the context of what that no is. Yeah? I know why he's telling me no. Somebody might get up here and say, I haven't a clue, uh, I don't know, God's not revealed it. But David, I just feel the Lord said no. David knows what no is. The same way that David knows what yes is. Yes? Now here's the thing when I talked about being mystical before. Here's the thing that when we're being selfish and we don't realise we're being selfish, because we don't set out on a daily basis to be selfish, do we? Oh, again, there's only three people. No, I'm not. We don't set out to be selfish. Some years ago, there used to be no names, no patril. Somebody was here and they used to prophesy and they pushed through. And Pastor Tony and I, we're just young men like we are now. We're just young men and we said to this guy, how do you prophesy? And this person turned around and went, I can't tell you how to prophesy. So I just find myself in the presence of God. And as I'm in the presence of God, I just feel him, the Holy Spirit come and rest on me. And as he rests on me, the word is just dropped into my heart. And as the word's in my heart, I just step forward in faith. And I just feel like I use the scripture. I open my mouth and the Lord fills it. And I speak the words from heaven. And you go, wow, flipping out. You live a life I don't live. God speaks, turns up, eight. Angels, heaven comes out of your mouth. And it is so mystical that none of us can ever do it. And then I met Dr. Jonathan. And Dr. Jonathan were like this. Okay, who wants to prophesy? You go, I want to prophesy. He goes, right, God speaks in seven ways. He does this, this, and this. And you all went, flipping heck, God's been speaking for ages. Yeah, you do this, this, and this. Right, stand there and start to declare it. Oh, by the way, God doesn't, he's give you a brain, so learn to be descriptive. So if God sees, uh, shows you a picture of a tree, and so you see a tree. What kind of tree is it? Is it a tall tree? A thin tree? A small tree? Has it got leaves? What colour are the leaves? Is the fruit on the tree? Be descriptive with your words. You've got to paint a picture for people who don't see what you see. Oh, really? That side and the other side is just wait in the mystical land and in the mystical land of nowhere. God will just turn up, fill your voice with magical things and you just start to disappear on a unicorn <laughs> off into the sunset. One's mystical, God is very, very practical. He wants us all to rise. Now here's the thing, and this is where we take it out of context sometimes. It says that when two or three prophesy, it says that the more amongst you should judge. What does that mean? Does that mean, I need to have a word with you, David, because you were bang out of order. Is that judging? The judging of the context it's speaking of is that when David speaks, those who are more mature in the gifting can take it higher, can bring more clarity. That when David turns around, like I gave a word this morning about a hot air balloon, you cut the sandbags off and went higher. David might bring that word and say, yeah, and as that balloon goes higher, you come into a different stratosphere. The heat waves and the wind are allow you, the thermals are allowed to be carried at a greater speed because you've gone He can bring greater clarity than what I brought. That is to judge. It goes higher. All of the time. Yeah? Now, it's great that, say, for instance, David brings a word. And I say, David, you brought a word this morning. That was brilliant. But what was in your heart when you were speaking? Because when you were speaking, this is what I felt. And sometimes we just don't have the vocabulary to bring what we feel and what we see. You know, because, I mean, Lord help us. But we've had it sometimes where somebody's come and gone, Phil, I've got a word. And they come like that because they're not too full of themselves. I feel I've got a word. What's your word? I've got a picture. And you've gone like that. Here's, here's the microphone because I'm trusting you today. Give you the mic. Lord shows me a picture of a banana. He gives you the microphone and they walk away. <laughs> and then they go, okay, Phil, just work that one out. <laughs> you've not been in them meetings, have you? <laughs> I've been in those meetings. Yeah, what we look for is we're looking for clarity of what's being said. Now, we're going to rejoice with all of you if you come and say, oh, I saw a picture of a banana. That's fine. We're growing together. We learn that. But we're never going to stay there because we're looking to mature gift, make it deeper, take us higher. So how do you do that? I then start to share with David, this is how I see. This is how God speaks to me. This is how the word is, seems to come into alignment with that. If I'm being generous at this level, should he be able to go further next time? Yeah, but that's what we don't do. 
we're there going, we get in the coffee shop. <laughs> David, a banana. <laughs> Did you see Phil's face when he stood up and said banana? <laughs> I'm going to let him sit and stew, but where do I need to help him? Because we, success is not a solo project. We're growing together. We have to break the pattern of look after number one. I won't read the scripture to you because time's already going. But if I just give you the story of there's Jesus, they've just fed the 5,000. He sticks the disciples in the boat and they give them one commission. They give them one command, go to the other side. Do we remember the scripture? Jesus says, and he's dispersing the people and he goes away to pray. So the disciples have got a task. What is the task? What is their assignment? Go. Is that, does that get any harder than go to the other side? It says while they were rowing, a storm appeared, depending which version you look at. Some it says it became harsh waters, others a storm appeared. And Jesus is going to meet him on the other side. He's walking on the water, listening to his iPod. He's just there walking along, minding his own business. And they see him and they say, it's a ghost. We read the scripture. If you want another reference, it's Matthew 14. They see him. What is it? What's happened now? They're in a boat. They're going to the other side. What environment are they now in? They're in deep water and they're in a storm. Okay. So what happens? They start to begin to panic. And as they panic in this wonderful power of corporate unity, Peter says, Lord, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come, depending which translation you read. And Jesus said, come. Did Jesus tell Peter to get out of the boat? Or did Jesus answer a question? He answered a question, if that's you, bid me to come. So he said, come, because it's me. Peter gets out, starts walking towards Jesus and went, what's on your iPod? So he starts walking towards him, loses faith and starts to sink. Jesus grabs him by the scruff of the neck, pulls him up and said, oh, you have little faith. Where does he put him? Back in the boat. If it was just pals together, he would have said, come on, well, I'll share. I've got an extra set of earpods, we'll walk together. He didn't, he puts him back in the boat. Why? Because we have a corporate destiny, we have an assignment which is given to us as individuals and to the house. The assignment was, go to the other side. People often use the story of Peter of, here's a story of faith. I look at the story of a man bailing out on his mates. He bailed out... And turn around and says, blow them. If the boat's going down, I'm safe with you. Jesus texts him, puts him back in the boat. Get on there with your mates and finish the assignment. Get to the other side. When the circumstances change, that's not time for you to make towards the door. That's the time when I can say, I'm with Kath, I'm with you, I'm with David, I'm with John. We're together in this place. We'll make it work. Amen. Give you a quick couple of quick illustrations. In Judges 6 and verse 11, again, I won't read all of the scripture because it'll take too long. We know the story of Gideon in the wine press, correct? The story of Gideon in the wine press, and he says because he doesn't want to lose his grain to the Midianites who's been robbing everything. And he says, An angel appeared, and it says, And the Lord is with you, almighty warrior. How big would your head be if from there sat in my cupboard? Grinding away. And an angel appeared and says, the Lord is with you, almighty warrior. I'm like, that. that's pretty good, that. Hiding, coward in the cupboard. But never mind, God still sees me as a mighty warrior. But it was his response that changed everything in a moment. Again, check it out yourself. It's from uh, Judges 6, verse 11 to 13. Gideon's response was this. If the Lord is with us then why are these things happening? The word to him was, the Lord is with you, almighty warrior. So if the Lord is with us, he made it and he joined all of the people together in that one response. When we're looking and Pastor Tony turns around and says, do you know what, I was just praying this week and the Lord gave us a word. It's your word. It's your word and it's my word. It's not just about, oh, great, Pastor Tony's going to donations, as he would put it. How many times have you been telling us, get your passport ready? Why? Because that word 
going to the nations. You know when he goes, we go. You know when he wins, we win. Do you realise how great the Dream Centre looked when we went to Melbourne and Tony stood at the front and declared his stuff? And the guy there, Pastor Peter from Melbourne, declared, he says, we have had so many Isaac pastors through here, but you're the first one who's directed the house. And it was, what's that? That's us. It was, I mean, when he's being uh, brought into somewhere, it was like, this is Pastor Tony from the Dream Centre, draws in Manchester. It's the Dream Centre. We sent him. We helped to cover him. We helped to pray. But it's our success. Okay, you've not got that one yet. It's our success we're pulling together. But let me tell you this, and with this I'm going to finish. In 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1, declares this. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his fathers and household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress, in debt, and discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander, about 400 men in total. These are the kind of people that when they shake your hand, you count your fingers. You kind of, you know, they're in debt, they're discontented, they're every kind of reprobate came to David and said, we've come to join you. We've heard you're a rebel. You're stripped away from the king. We've come to join you. But nowhere in any of those scriptures or any history where you pull through did the nature of those people change David. David's nature changed them. They came, the discontented, those in debt, those in distress came to David. David was so secure in himself that the role and the assignment that he had, he taught everybody else how to finish. We've not got time to go into the story. When David fights Goliath and picks five stones from the the brook and puts them in his bag, it wasn't because he was ever going to miss. One stone for one giant. The scripture tells us these four other giants to take out. David goes, right, I'll take out the first one. You better bring the next. Roll him up because he's going down as well. But if you read and you start to read through Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, you see that the men that David trained took down the giants in David's name. The four giants that remained, the men were trained to take them up. Look at the difference between Saul and Jonathan. He said when Saul and Jonathan went to battle, they were the only two men who had a sword. Everybody else turned up like one of them old Frankenstein movies with like a pitchfork, yeah, a wooden kind of ladle. You've got anything you can pick up. I've got a pointy stick. There was only two men, two men who were trained to fight. David trained everybody what was in his heart. He trained them all. They brought down the giants that he couldn't bring down. The story goes on to this, that David so much had empowered the people around him that when they came back from the battlefield and all the ladies sang and David has slain his thousand, Saul has slain his thousand and David his tens of thousands. Do you remember the scripture? I'll give you a reference for it. That is in uh, 1 Samuel 18. It says, and he has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul's heart changed towards David. Read the last part of the verse. And Saul said, I will keep my eye on him. Why? Because when you rise, I'm supposed to celebrate. If you rise at my expense, I'm supposed to celebrate. Why? Because when you win, I win. When I win, you win. Because success is never a solo project. It's all about growing together, learning together, pushing on. I'm, there, I'm sat there the other week when young Samuel gets up and he brings the word, this is what the Lord's saying. I'm not going, you give him a kick, trip him up on the way past. That's like one of them. Just get back in your chair and stay there. You're going, my God, you're moving on the house. Because your word declares in those days, your sons and daughters will prophesy. The spirit will be on all men. If you can learn to tap into God quicker than I can, well, thank God for it. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to accelerate. It's a time for all of us to rise because we need each other. But I said right at the beginning, there'll be those who do destiny together and there'll be those who are here for a while and decide that they want to be somewhere else. That's fine. But where we have destiny, where we have purpose, when things get choppy, 
don't be looking for the, if that's you, Jesus, call me to endeavor. Sorry, I just threw that out. Whatever we've got, it's not a time to be called out. If we're in here together and we call ourselves dreamer lights, as Pastor Tony would say, this is our time, it's our shift, it's our moment. People will often say, when's it my turn? It's your turn when it's your time. When it's your time, you'll know it. A man's gift makes room for him. You don't have to nudge everybody out the way and go, have you seen me? I'm a good communicator and I'm funny and I can tell jokes. Doesn't make any difference. A man's gift makes room for him. So come on, church, let's stand to our feet. There's more that could be saying on this this morning. The only thing I'll leave you with is this. Insecurity is one of the biggest killers inside and outside the body. Insecurity of saying, you can do more than me, you can go higher than me, you're a threat to me, so because you're a threat, I'm always going to keep you down. God forbid that's ever said in here. But there is a corporate rising together. So come on church, let's start to raise those holy hands. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.